Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have such a wonderful show for you this evening. Emmy Award winning aviation filmmakers Adam and Kara White are here. And uh, that little intro that you just saw is just a tiny, tiny peek and taste of some of the uh, just truly wonderful work that that duo has done. Before we get started, just a few things. First of all, Social Flight's Fly to Win Challenge is in full swing right now. We are giving away a Lightspeed Delta Zulu headset on December 1st. So be sure to get in there to win. All you need to do to, is uh, check in, get the Social Flight mobile app or go to socialflight.com. You need the mobile app in order to check in at your local airport or in your flying at multiple airports. All it takes is going and doing that and then you have, you're there. You've got the chance to win that Lightspeed Delta Zulu headset. In addition to that, if you do a bunch of flying and rack up some points, you can be on our leaderboard and get multiple entries. It's all free and we are just here to support general aviation. Uh, in addition to that, tonight's broadcast is brought to us by Aspen Avionics and the amazing Evolution 1000 flight displays. We use them in our Bonanza. We just added a second one to have both the primary flight display and a multifunction display next to it. And I can tell you, especially on cross-country trips, it's absolutely fantastic. I, I just love flying with that. And we're building it into our Mustang build which is going on right behind me here. And the best news for all of you is that until December 22nd, 2023, you've just got this period of time. They have an enormous discount program going on, fantastic promotion, 50% off of feature unlocks, 50% off of remanufactured legacy units, and just tons of other things. Go to Aspen uh, Avionics and check all that out and see how it can help you. Uh, you know, in a time when prices are going up on seemingly everything, getting any company to come out with a great discount program is, uh, is just wonderful. Now to tonight's guests. Adam and Kara White are the collaborative team behind Hemlock Films. And together, they produce some of the most amazing aviation and space exploration documentaries, celebrating the past while inspiring future generations. Adam is an Emmy award-winning filmmaker and cinematographer who's worked on big budget Hollywood films, TV shows, award-winning documentaries and commercials. Adam is also a licensed pilot. Kara is a producer, director and writer with a slew of Emmy awards and nominations for her wonderful and compelling documentaries. Together, the duo have been the creative force behind the Emmy award-winning series, The Restores, as well as the spectacular Emmy award-winning Space Chase USA, as well as Red Tail Reborn, Rise Above Wasp, Beyond the Powder, and Resistance, among many other projects. I'm thrilled to have them both with us here tonight. And let me bring them on the line now. Please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, Adam and Kara White. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. How are you doing today? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. Oh, we're pleased to be with you. <laughs> we're just making sure we have all the, all, all the technology done correctly. <laughs> oh, it's all good. We can hear you. We can see you. <laughs> okay, great. So I'd like to know, before we even get into the films, how, how did this all start? Tell me a little bit about your background, how you found each other as a team, and what what brought you into Hemlock Films and what we now know? Uh, you want to go first? Well, <laughs> uh, both of us work uh, in the film industry before we got into aviation. Um, and uh, early in my career, I won't say how early, um, I wanted to do something with aviation and a good inroad for that seemed to be through documentaries. Mm. And I had gone to the Cleveland Air Show uh, ever since I was uh, uh, a little kid, and it was kind of uh, uh, 
always the jet teams and baking on a hot ramp somewhere. And it, I just hated it. Um, uh, and then I went through college and got into the film industry <clears throat> and then was able to go to different types of air shows, like the one they had in Batavia, where uh, there is no hot ramp. You're just kind of uh, um, uh, allowed to see the aircraft and meet the people that are associated with it. And that kind of got me juiced up that there was something more here. I didn't have a clue how much more was there. Um, and then thought naively like, oh, I'll just do a little movie about these small amount of people that do Warbird and vintage aircraft restoration, not understanding the enormity of the community that was involved. And uh, every time I did a story for the restorers, uh, which started with Beck and Odegaard up in North Dakota. Every time I would see somebody, I didn't even know who uh, Jerry Beck was. But then I talked to Bob Odegaard, and he's like, you know who you should talk to? And then I suddenly meet Jerry Beck in the entire shop that he had and did that as a story. And it, everything that we've done, uh, even today, always is uh, somebody sort of bringing uh, that kind of uh, story to us. And that's kind of how I got off and running. Yeah, that started Hemlock in 1999, and then I didn't come into it until 2009. And when we met, he was really kicking around the idea of doing more restorers, more as a TV series. So that was our first project together. And then from there, we were off and running and have gone down the uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, as you've seen, of all the projects we've done. Um, and it's very cool. Like, I don't I guess I don't realize how much we've done until we put it all together. And just even watching that uh, clip at the beginning of this, I was like, oh, yeah. I love those. Those are so good. Um, it makes me want to rewatch our stuff. So um, the experience of doing all of them as well. That's uh, 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 always the case, even if we're not working on airplane stuff. Uh, people say, how can you watch the movies that you worked on? It's like it always seems like a travel it, travel log video of our summer. Uh, but doing the airplane stuff, it it does, but even uh, more so and more rewarding yeah. uh, uh, when we get to watch that back. But yeah, uh, it's a, a, a beloved subject. So when uh, we watch it back, going, oh, that's really great to do that yeah. stuff. When when do we get to leave again to go do that? <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about the restore, because that's really what kicked everything off. And and and. I think some people maybe can a little bit confused that there's multiple restorers. Yeah, right? there's not just, the, not just originally, um, uh, I decided to do a documentary and made it a one-hour documentary for PBS called The Restorers, just one movie with eight different stories in it. And I was, uh, and I still do this, but I wanted to release it on an anniversary. So I wanted to release in 2003 on the 100th anniversary of Powered Flight. So I spent all of 02. Uh, uh, doing those stories and at a certain point I just had to stop uh, shooting uh, uh, because because uh, uh, again it, it kept going you know you should talk to you know you should talk to and they're really great stories <laughs> yeah. from from uh, uh, people doing Corsairs and Mustangs and astronauts and Reno air races and all that and at a certain point I just had to stop and put the kibosh on it and call it done and then it went on to PBS mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it cut to uh, close to a decade later, and that's when, and I always knew that it should be a series, uh, uh, just having tasted how large the community was, and that's when we started talking about it. And again, uh, we're never ready uh, to go, we just go. And somebody said, hey, by the way, uh, you know there's this big reunion at the Air Force Museum, which is three hours down the road from us with the Doolittle Raiders and we're going to fly a whole bunch of B-25s in here and we're like, I guess we're ready. We're, 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 gonna, <laughs> we're like, get our credit cards out. Yeah, we're, we don't have a dime in place. I guess we're doing the show now. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I'm, it's one of, it's one Emmy. Um, it's one of the biggest projects we did for, yeah. uh, uh, for get, doing a B-25 launch of uh, 17 B-25s flying from Urbana and going over to uh, the Air Force Museum. Um, yeah, and, and, and like uh, you said, um, get the credit cards out. I hope somebody cares. And we had three camera teams. We had one in Urbana with a camera crane and all that filming the takeoff. I was on board one of the B-25s and then Kara was at the Air Force Museum to catch. 
and we land, we all taxi up smartly, shut all the engines off in a row, pop open the hatch and I look and there isn't a single soul there. And I was like, crap, well, you spent a whole bunch of money and nobody cares about this subject. And then they opened the gates and 70,000 people came out to see those planes and the Doolittle Raiders over the course of a weekend. And it, 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 uh, uh, it was a big uh, a brow wipe at that point that uh, uh, we're not just wasting our time and 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 people love it and that got on PBS and we ended up winning an Emmy for that episode. Yeah, so. and I was invited to my high school to for Veterans Day no. to speak and I was like I should not be the one speaking, um, but we played that episode and all the veterans, Vietnam veterans, no matter what war they were in, they were like thank you for telling the story. So I think not only was it because it's specifically just about the, dipping into it. Yeah, the World War II um, veterans and uh, the Doolittle Raiders, but it kind of speaks bounds for all the um, all the veterans out there. But that yeah, was, that's an image from it. Yeah, too. so that's part of the series. The series is a five-hour, or I'm sorry, five, five one-hour episodes. And uh, is it still airing on PBS? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh. <laughs> I know I can't remember when the contract runs out. Um, but it also is available on Amazon and Vimeo and DVD and DVD. Well, on DVD and Amazon, but. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a really really wonderful series. I I I love it, especially the one you were just talking about. That, yeah. uh, that and you put such a human take uh, mm-hmm. on it. It's it's not just about, of course, the aircraft. It's about the people behind it and the mentality of it and the culture of uh, that goes into all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's never. It's o- almost never uh, about the uh, uh, the hardware because uh, mm-hmm. uh, we we're long since gone and uh, we were, we're down the road from being involved in those aircraft and those aircraft quite frankly were made to last 18 months before they're supplanted by uh whatever next was coming down the road the Wrights, the wright brothers were famously uh uh, uh never looked back that they just crumpled up whatever they just made for whatever the next thing was mm-hmm. um, but we find it as a great tool telling the story about modern mechanics and pilots right now and why they do it. And it's a great excuse then to dip into history. So, oh, you're gonna talk about a museum in Minnesota that has a B-25? This is our excuse to also talk about the Doolittle Raiders uh, and and sort of crowbar open history uh, in a way, because we never, we always wanna have a modern motion component we don't just want to have archival pictures and 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 uh, uh footage thrown on the screen so if there's somebody uh that's flying something nowadays that's a good excuse to tell a story yeah and i think it helps too with that it gives the story its heart and yeah. that's one thing i always the guiding force of everything we do is a line from a film that i love um and it's like what's it what keeps it in the air love mm. So we try to take that into account on everything we write. Including so. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that's so wonderful in the films of yours that I have watched is it really is, is it a blend of everything. It's a blend of of seeing almost Ken Burns style of footage when you're looking at photos and and getting into the history there. It's the live people now who are dealing with things. And then many, in many cases, it's reenactments um, yeah. uh, that go along with it. It's everything wrapped together to bring you into that. And one of the biggest ones, of course, for that is Rise Above Wasp. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that, and I'll put up a, an, an image of it. But um, tell tell me a little bit about that that process. Uh, yeah, so that was my baby. Um, <laughs> that was one that uh, the CAF um, hired us to make this. It's part of their traveling exhibit. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen it. If you, it's gone to many air shows, including Oshkosh every year. Um, but it's the wasp have always been the coolest to me. I remember seeing a photo of them when I was like 18 and I'm like, way, what is this? Yeah, Who's this? That? And like, since then I've just been in love with them. So um, this was like definitely a passion project for me. And I always say, I'm like, even if I don't get to do anything else, this is the thing that, um, <laughs> you know, like this is it. I'm, I'm pleased as much that we were able to make this. And the image, um, the image that you have up there right now, uh, when we were doing the initial scouting uh, 
a lot of Texas doesn't look like it did back in the, in the 40s. So uh, some of the imagery that we were trying to recreate are from some very famous photographs that were taken either by the Air, For, Air Corps or by Life magazine. And this was one of them. This is actually on the field at Sweetwater, Texas at Avenger Field. Uh, uh, and that is a wasp, an actual T6 that the wasp used to fly back at Sweetwater in the 40s uh, with a, a Ms. Stance a female pilot flying over it. And yeah. she flew so low, she would shake the crane. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of our footage is like wobbly at the front. You're so like, we had the image stabilize it later. <laughs> but we had our, um, our production designer redesign the sign for us um, and all of the majority of Rise Above Wasps reenactment scenes are filmed in Sweetwater, Texas, yeah. which was absolutely, I don't it's, even know how to describe it's how holy, it. It's holy land. Uh, you could feel it when you're there and it was hot. It was everything <laughs> the wasp described in our interviews that we did with them because the, how we started the whole project. Is that's Shootsy Reynolds there that you had up yeah. there. And these are the actresses uh, that are depicting. We'll go back to Shootsy Reynolds. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that holds a very dear place in my heart. We've had uh, so many uh, amazing um, uh, female pilots that have broken barriers on the show, all of whom trace everything back to the WASP, all of whom yeah. give credit uh, to the WASP for the achievements that they've done in their lives. Uh, so it, it really is quite wonderful. Yeah, and it's like they're so inspiring, even for people who aren't into aviation. Like, they're it's all about their attitude and the fact that they were like, oh, you're going to tell me I can't do something? I'm going to show you how good I can do it. Um, and I did, I've, I've always loved their story. And I think it, like I said, I think it just transcends even just flying in airplanes. I think it's good for everyone to know their story. And the nice, or the one thing that I really wanted um, for this, to come out of this project was um, to show the world what strong, brave leaders women can be, including, because they're always like, oh, young girls, young girls um, can see it. But I'm like, young boys need to young see it. Young boys that should too. see it too. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, it's, like I said, we are, it, it's my, fa my favorite thing we've ever made. And um, this is our reenactments of uh, the B-29, which we did in Dallas. And we just pulled that, the front of it into the hangar um, and then green screened all of it. So that way we could, um, make it look like they were flying because <laughs> there was no right. way to cheat normally we don't do that we want to use the real we but want. we had actors that had to do lines uh, and yeah. that and the b29 fifi takes thousands and thousands of dollars to even get it up in the air so that was not really yeah uh, there really wasn't effective. even a way to fake it because the pilot like the pilots are men who are flying it right now so yeah so. at the time we were doing it so <clears throat> i was like uh i don't even know how to fake this <laughs> so, it had to do a little bit of hollywood trickery but yeah yeah, but um, it turned out it turned out pretty good. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful for anyone who has the opportunity to 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 see it where it's where it's traveling. It's it really is quite fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about the process when you're when you're dealing with the acting side of it because you again you have a documentary approach and that's se seems to be where mo most of your focus is, but mm -hmm. there's so much in this particular story and in some of the others that really is. Uh, recreating and, and and very much about acting. Yeah. Um, well, Adam and I both went to film school, and um, we work on movies uh, that come through town or used to travel and do there it. There we but, are. Yeah. There <laughs> um, we are getting sunburned. But that's, <laughs> that's where our passion lies. Where we would, if we had the money, we would just do narratives. But um, because we don't, <laughs> like I said, when we're putting on our own credit cards, it's easier to tell the stories when they're documentary. You can, you can do it more economically yeah. and by economically, like even just with, uh, speed, but mm -hmm. narrative, uh, grabs, grabs the viewer. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, uh, it's the Apollo 13 effect that, uh, we all watch documentaries about the Apollo program when we were in high school and junior high, but until Tom Hanks made a movie about it. Uh, no, it, it didn't really stick. So uh, once he was able to do that, then uh, um, now it's an emotional, uh, uh, emotion-centered story with people mm -hmm. at the center. Uh, 
uh, on a very difficult movie. Apollo 13 is a very difficult movie technically to be able to convey that information, mm -hmm. have people care. Um, but um, to do it in a narrative way gets your emotions running and connects you with the wasp that a, doc, a straight doc wouldn't have done. Yeah, and that's, I mean, like I say, we do docs because we don't have any money. I mean, I do love doing documentaries. I and Rats Above Wasp was very expensive. <laughs> and Rats Above, yes, that did cost, cost, cost a coin or two. Yeah. Um, but it's, I love telling the stories of real people and not having that tainted by having to change it with narrative um, because we've definitely run into that as well. Um, and so much of this you did not. It just, uh, just as it is. And the very first job number one when we did Rise Above Wasp was travel around the country and interview every wasp we could get our hands on, the real wasp, so we can, one, uh, include them in the documentary, which they are in, in it, mm -hmm. and two, um, so Kara could write the script uh, yeah. based on the words right from the pilot's mouth. Yeah, that was that was the biggest challenge, I think, trying to um, sum up them as a group when each of them are so different individually. Um, but yeah, we use that to be able to craft the narrative scenes, um, kind of helped guide what, what those could be. Um, and then directing, we had our gals who are, um, a couple of them are actually really big anime voiceover artists. <laughs> so they were excited. They're like, oh, this is weird to be on screen when we were filming with them. Um, but, uh, most of the You're direction. talking about the, the, the actors in that. Yeah, our, yeah, our actresses. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so like they, uh, we all sat down together before we started and I, I sent them. I had them watch a documentary about the wasp that wasn't ours, <laughs> and uh, and they, you know, like they did their own research, and a lot of it was just really easy. Once you get them knowing those women and their stories, they're like, I got it. Oh, <laughs> you, you go through the scene, and then you're like, and remember, you're also women doing this, and they're like, Yeah, got it. <laughs> so in this scene, pretend you've been marginalized throughout your life, and they all went, Okay. <laughs> I know that one. Yep. <laughs> so it was, so, that part was fairly easy for me. How, I mean, there's so many facets once you open the door to something like that with uh, actresses and everybody working all together. You've got, you know, it's a period piece, right? So you've got you know, lighting, hair, makeup, sets, <laughs> costume design. It's just mind-blowing to me that, that the two of you are able to pull that off on, on, you know, on such a quick time time frame and tight budget. Yeah. And there were um, 140 digital visual effect shots in Rise Above Wasp, and the original Jurassic Park had 40. <laughs> a lot of racing stuff. Erasing, like, cell towers. And, yeah. But, well, we also had to... Um, we uh, politely asked the commemorative Air Force if we could sandblast the nose art off of Fifi, and rightfully so, they said no. <laughs> uh, so we had to di we digitally, we digitally replaced uh, the nose art, so it was the same nose art of uh, uh, Ladybird that uh, the wasp, the B-29 that the wasp flew. Uh, so on on top of other things, uh, um, uh, just doing cleanup and uh, slight adjustments, we had to do some fairly major digital work onto the B-29 just to keep it historically accurate. Yeah. As and, much as we could. And um, we were very lucky that there were, for our extras at the Wasp at, um, Avenger Field, are all volunteers that brought mm -hmm. themselves in. Um, a lot of them are granddaughters of the Wasp yeah. um, or pilots, and they just wanted to be a part of telling their story. Because I was like, oh boy, there's a lot of them, and I can't feature everybody. And they're like, I don't care. I just want to be here. And they all had, they all got dressed up by our wardrobe, which the um, Liberty Aviation Museum here in Ohio um, was very wonderful and let us borrow a ton of. Uh, Parachutes, which we are had a pair, it's like a trying, to find parachute. a, trying to find a unicorn to get a period parachute. Yeah, packed. yeah, and really? um, all the coveralls because they had bought a bunch of repros of things, and yeah. they were like, "Oh yeah, like go ahead and take it." So we had a bunch of stuff we could choose from. Uh, if you're ever in um, Northern Ohio, go check out Liberty. Plus, plus they is, got a great diner. Is really great. Um, and then our costume person was Amy Loria out of the Minnesota wing of the CAF, mm -hmm. and she. 
she doesn't do costumes per se in motion pictures professionally, but she was able to bring historical accuracy, mm -hmm. which is what we wanted. Yeah, because she does a lot, or she used to do a lot of reenactments. So she was in with that community and was able to make sure we were doing everything correctly. Um, so it was really this wonderful, like, aviation community effort to try and bring this story to life um, Every, on the budget that we had. Everybody pushed hard for it. The road that you showed um, uh, with the archway, the real archway road doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. There's a building there, but the road that we ended up using was the path, was the dirt driveway to the Sweetwater Gun Club. <laughs> and we uh, uh, we blocked it. We asked if we could block this. It was like on a Sunday a morning. Sunday morning, which <laughs> you know, uh, breakfast, church, and fire a firing range in some order always <laughs> happens there. And they said you have until dawn until noon to film on that road. And I was last man off. We finished, and I think it was 12:05 that I was off. And there was a line of people waiting to do some target practice. And the head of the club. Uh, stuck his hand inside my van and shook my hand mm -hmm. and said, um, "We I, and I apologize, I'm sorry, we're five minutes late. And he said, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, I was in the Army, and if it wasn't for these WASP gals, I would never have met my wife because she flew in the Army, and she wouldn't have done that if it weren't for them. Wow. <laughs> and, that, and the yeah. Hall of Sweetwater, uh, which it has oil and gas industry around it. Uh, but if they could, they'd bring us a pallet of water. They would bring us ladders. However, they could help us. They could because yeah. they're so behind uh, trying to get the story out. And that happens to us everywhere, yeah. regardless of whatever the story is. But for Rise Above Wasps, there is a little bit more oomph behind mm -hmm. it when it came to uh, yeah. esprit de corps. Yeah. And when we were out there filming, um, our crew that we brought with us from Ohio, because we couldn't get crew in Sweetwater, Texas, um, including people who have worked on Oscar winning films, just were dying at this part because the plane we had Laura Stance going over in the um in the T6. the T6 doing a wagon wheel for us with Adam on the walkie talking to her. Um and then further out, which sadly it doesn't come across that great, but there is a wagon wheel of other uh World War II trainers going. There's a lot of planes in the air. There's a lot thing. happening. And the uh, professional film crew who have seen a ton of really cool They worked stuff. on the Avengers. They were like losing their minds how cool it was. They're like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> one or two of them got flights. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are still filming in like one of our um, arts apartment guys. We did not. No. Goes taxiing by in the back of a T6 and we're like, what? We're working. What are you doing? <laughs> hey, we're still on the clock. No, somebody offered to play for me, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> but it was tell cool. me a little bit about how you do some of the uh, the filming that's that that requires airborne photography. Um, most that of itself, most, yeah, is most of the, consuming. <laughs> well, most of the time, the math is uh, to film a warbird, you need another warbird uh, for flight characteristics, uh, uh, speed, uh, all of that. So the image you have up here is from when we did Rise Above, the original, about uh, 10 years ago about the Tuskegee Airmen. We're over the Mississippi River up in Minnesota. And we filmed from Miss Mitchell, uh, the Minnesota's B-25. And uh, most most of the time we we push hard to be able to shoot without glass because uh, um, uh, you'll see it and it just it kind of negates the uh, imagery um, and then uh, we are shooting in this particular case we only shot 5k um, as reference your televisions at home are usually 4k so this is five uh, this is a little bit better and now we shoot 8k uh, to help with some image stabilization and most of the time it is just a camera in my arms the whole time uh, filming it and if you want it uh, more stable, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's Hang, before he got strapped in. <laughs> hanging out the back of a, a devil, devil dog uh, yeah. with the uh, glass removed. And that was for filming the B-29. And if you want it stable and uh, good looking, you just get closer. Uh, yeah. And that, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, it's very simple, but it's also um, you have very, very good pilots in the air with very uh, pricey hardware. Uh, 
Um, so there's, yeah, there's no, not too much magic when it goes into it. Just, uh, and while I'm shooting, Kara's in the back, making sure with a list that I'm getting all the shots uh, that I need. Uh, and then I also have an assistant that has a focus control motor to make, so, cause I'm task saturated to make this thing look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's making sure that I'm, uh, uh, sharp and in focus all the time. Yeah. And when we were filming in that image of the um, red tail Mustang in the beach. Miss Mitchell was our camera ship. Yeah. And um, Adam and I and our camera assistant, Amy Faust, were in there doing <laughs> gymnastics while you're in there because the Bombay has that little gap that you slide through. To go over the Bombay. So yeah, yeah. we filmed yeah, the tunnel. looking out the back uh, yeah. and filmed the Mustang looking out the back. And then we said, all right, position number two. And uh, the Mustang peeled off to go into the front and then was in the lead position. And I go over the Bombay, pulling myself across with those bars that are at the top and go, throw it. And (laughs) Amy, my assistant, takes the red camera and slides it across the Bombay, which then I catch, (laughs) crawl down into the Bombay, or crawl down into the the nose. And uh, where the Mustang is set up, just waiting for me to hurry up and get the shot and uh, open the port. And now hundreds of mile an hour wind is coming through that port. And now I got to shoot through that to get the shot that you had just shown. So, uh, and a lot of the time, and we were, we're very cognizant of the fact that we are doing things that are on thousands of people's bucket lists mm-hmm. and we enjoy it. A little bit, but at the same time, we hear those gas gauges going at ten dollars, twenty dollars, thirty dollars, forty. Uh, so we're working hard to get our get what we need so those planes can get on the ground. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it shows certainly through that. Um, one of the other things that's obviously a common thread throughout so many of your films is archival footage. Where where does that come from when 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 any time that that people are watching a documentary and seeing all these flashbacks to archival real footage where does that come from trade secret no. <laughs> uh, uh, it comes from uh, a myriad of places yeah. uh the air the, the literally the the air force uh sometimes mm-hmm. uh particularly for some of the space stuff that we have done uh, I've gone to the National Archives and threaded up film mm-hmm. uh, and ran it through the projector and then had it transferred. And then uh, other times it has come right from the pilots uh, themselves, particularly for Rise Above Wasp. Kara uh, worked with them and we did copying from a lot of uh, the Wasp themselves that they took pictures while they were there. Yeah, they had some really great photographs, including, um, oh, what's her name? Um, which one had color photos? Oh, Lynn. Um, um, uh, okay. Uh, I apologize. What a, I know. Yeah, this shows how I'm getting old. Um, I, but she had uh, it, uh, did color film, so we had a whole bunch of color photos to pick from from that. Um, yeah, that was good. But yeah, for footage, it's just we do a lot of research and scouring um, internet and seeing. Uh, who has them? A lot of universities have things. Like- when I, in some places, like when I did um, Red Tail Reborn, uh, Maxwell Air Force Base was the repository for uh, all of their stuff. So I just come in with a scanner and a laptop and a hard drive and have a day of it and just yeah. start uh, 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 copying my little fanny off uh, yeah. at as high resolution as I can. And then and then we always have that. Now we have a an enormous repository uh, of materials from all these stories that we've done. Yeah, a lot of it we're able to find um, through our historians that we interview because they'll be like, oh, like so-and-so has this collection or... Um, a lot of universities will have it. Yeah, um, like the um, 1929 uh, Women's Air Race that's uh, shown a lot in the uh, Beyond the Powder. That came from University of South Carolina, yeah. somehow got the uh, RKO, what did in, it in, Inexplicably. Yeah. And, and oh. then um, uh, the, women's air for, yeah. the women's air race uh, started in Santa Monica mm-hmm. and landed in Cleveland, and it was a huge media event. So Cleveland Library here had uh, a fair amount, and we were able to kind of go and take a look at those. And then I was like, let's call the LA Times. Mm-hmm. It took place right in their doorstep and called them up, and we were bracing ourselves for a big giant bill. Uh, Cause if you use like CBS or any other media, 
it can get pricey. Yeah. And LA Times is like, give us credit. That's all we need. That's and stunning photos. Stunning yeah. uh, work uh, that they did at the at the start mark for the Santa Monica yeah. uh, start. Uh, yeah. So you don't know. You, uh, wow. Just ask. And, yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes it's you know you'll get material that was uh, you know just shot by 19 year olds because they were there, and sometimes you'll get stuff that's shot by an Oscar winner. Yeah. Wow. It. Uh, yeah. And Western Reserve here in Cleveland also had mm -hmm. uh, their historical society had a ton of air race um, film from all the different years that they were. They, I mean, Cleveland was racing from the center of the world, the 20s to the yeah. 50s. But uh, their stuff was really cool too, and yeah. that was nice. They allowed us to use that for free as well. So, well, when you think about our archival footage and you think about some of the other things, the the film that comes to mind right now is Space Chase USA. And to anyone who hasn't seen this, the the story of Cocoa Beach, the story of the the the, the space program. And what happened uh, in Florida and focusing on that is really, really amazing. And it includes a ton of archival footage. Tell me the story about making that. It was, um, uh, we were approached because it was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And uh, Orlando PBS wanted us to make something about that and have it be uh, regional, but also have a national appeal. Um, so we had one hour to talk about the space race, which is not a lot of time. Um, and then fortunately, NASA shoots everything. Unfortunately, they don't keep it. So you have to go digging for, they have it at the National Archives and they have it at the Library of Congress. So um, sometimes you have to go uh, kind of deep to find the materials that they, uh, they themselves don't hold on to sometimes uh, uh, very well and then uh, uh, proceed from there. And Space Chase wasn't, I didn't keep it just about Apollo, but it was about uh, Kennedy, Apollo, through shuttle, through oh, it now. it starts with Sputnik. I mean, uh, it goes yeah, all the way from Sputnik through the entire program. And I was really blown away how it takes you into the community, that they you had footage from what it was like at different periods of time, driving down Main Street, Cocoa Beach, or seeing some of the things happening there, it's its remarkable and definitely makes you wonder, like, how, how in the world did you find that? Well, uh, uh, just legitimately, I uh, called up the Cocoa Beach Chamber of Commerce, and they, fortunately, they had uh, somebody that had, uh, and it's almost always disorganized, but uh, they had, you know, some boxes of some of that material to show the changes that happened to a sleepy little beach town that had a 1,000% population increase in 10 years. It was it was the divorce capital of the world. It was the it was the capital of everything of the world for 10 years uh, uh, in doing that. And that was uh, part of the project was to be able to talk about that, not just that the those 60s moments there, but let's talk about. Um, 1974 when Apollo is over and everybody's got to give their house away and then, then let's talk about when the shuttle uh, program stopped and it's kind of the same thing and then we went down there and filmed because now they're experiencing another uh, boon because of uh, 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 the multiple companies that are launching there for yeah. uh, so yeah you just just start knocking on doors like hey do you, yeah. you know were you here yeah, yeah. You have some pictures. Let's see them. <laughs> yeah, and we were able to talk to a couple of the engineers from the Apollo Apollo, Apollo engineers. Oh my gosh, well, those were wonderfully interesting interviews. And we only like were with them for maybe an hour or so, and you'd get done asking the questions that we needed for the program. And I'll talk like, for eight more hours. You guys want to go to the bar and yeah, chat? Because this is really interesting. <laughs> like, I have a million questions. The astronauts are cool, you know, when they walk up and whip off the mirrored glass and say, <laughs> I'm Al Warden. It's like, of course you are. Uh, <laughs> but then to talk about the the uh, women and men that yeah. had their mitts on those F1 and J1 engines uh, uh, on the Saturn V rocket and um, and conveyed to you on camera, if we don't do our job, if we take too many days off, guys die. Mm -hmm. And that's what they, that was their uh, uh, overriding concern for a decade. Mm -hmm. So it's no wonder that um, 
You know, sometimes families didn't survive, but that was the dedication that they had because it, we, it's not the, uh, our tires are going to be poorly made or uh, we're going to miss a deadline. It's like, there's, there's, there's three dudes on the nose of that rocket that we owe everything we can to. And interviewing the, the engineers was, uh, those were great days. Yeah. And, and it was a time of national priority absolutely coming together to achieve something there i your film space chase usa i think was probably the first documentary i've seen that started to shine a light on what it was as a country not just the astronauts themselves and and we what's interesting is we've heard that we've had we had bert rutan on the show dick rutan was on yeah. the show they and the, the interesting things that get said almost in passing are well he he had said i i didn't want to work for apollo and that was what everyone on the in the united states was doing at the time so i did this yeah. um and it it really brought that idea like yeah everyone in the country everyone. was working on apollo yeah like, that's yeah. not something easy to relate to yeah in today's world yeah it was uh, i mean uh, you dig into things like that and it's uh you, you you catch opinions from a lot of different angles, but uh, some of them were it was a the greatest public works project that Washington's ever cooked up. Uh, um, that some of it was some people will say it was national pride and it was us against the Russians and all that, but it also it was a really great way to push science and technology forward and have a public works employment project that had good STEM. Uh, at its core, and we basically we made an entire generation of engineers from within the span of like six years. Yeah, that's that's mind blowing. Engineers and technicians and mathematicians and physicists and everything that that it was a national movement, and and again, that is really something I think that's well uh, encapsulated in Space Chase USA. Available on PBS.org. It's yeah. Uh, it's still on there. The PBS app. It's free. You yeah. Can just go on there and click on it. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think it's there. I think it's also uh, directly on on the web at PBS. So as we get to the end, we'll certainly talk about making sure people understand, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, where those different things are. Um, talk to me about your um, most recent uh, effort. Why I fly. Uh, why I fly is a web series. Uh, to highlight people who are involved in aviation. That's it. And it could be uh, a 19-year-old that just got her license, or it could be uh, a mechanic uh, for Boeing. It could be uh, the mission con uh, a flight director for the ISS, and everything in between. Um, the purpose of the program uh, is in part to help with the GA problem, mm -hmm. to be able to show that aviation and aerospace is not just somebody that looks like me flying for an airline, mm -hmm. uh, that, that aerospace and uh, aviation have a, a big, wide footprint, and there's a lot of places that people can find themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, just like the restorers, most of our stories came from people giving us uh, suggestions like, oh, here's this, here's this woman and she runs a squadron for the Navy. Oh, here's this guy, he flies the helicopter on Mars. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you just, you just start. You just say, all right, well, let's, let me get the phone book out and call a jet propulsion laboratory and figure out how we can go in there and film. Yeah. Some of them were easy, some of them took us a while. And that was something, Adam, this is Adam's passion project. He's been thinking about it for a while and he was pitching it to people and we did a number of them on our own just to kind of have that um, sample so that people, when we went to funders, we'd be like, this is kind of what the project is. And um, the National Aviation Hall of Fame got a grant from the state of Ohio for education. And they ended up funding 24 of those for us. So, um, which was great because it allowed us to go all over the country and be able to interview yeah. a multitude of different types of people. So, um, and that, Part of that program is uh, in, oh, I can't remember how many schools across Ohio it goes into, but it's all middle schools. And it's 
they sent out aviation curriculums to all the teachers so that they can choose to teach um, aviation. And then these are part of that to keep, this is the inspirational part to show to kids and be like, oh, here you can totally be- There are a, options. Be a welder or a mechanic or- um, Or just do it for fun. Or do it for fun. Um, it's just to throw a bunch of stuff out there and see them to scroll through and be like, oh, that looks interesting. Like I'll click on that one. Yeah. Um, but they're like three, three to four minute videos. Um, they're like, I think they're very similar to the restorer stories, except yeah, they're, for they're re not bites re now. Restorer <laughs> um, and we did, so we did the first 24 and, uh, the, it would, uh, bring smiles to our faces if, uh, uh, somebody decided like we're game for funding season two. Yeah. That's uh, where we're at right now. <laughs> it's trying to find somebody to sponsor this. Sponsor more so, of them. Basically. So for everybody out there, if you know anybody in your circle or if you personally are in a position to it, Big sponsor bang. the next season of Why I Fly. Go check it out at uh, Hemlock Films. Uh, it, it is amazing. And uh, and I love that, that there are so many, such a variety from people mm -hmm. who are just personalities in, in, in aviation or people who are instructors. Uh, uh, certainly, I, I recently saw the one of someone who's the um, the Artemis uh, sim, uh, yes. simulator person who yeah. runs the Artemis simulator. Um, just amazing different backgrounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, I think that was the but interviewing her was great. And like, she mentioned that her and her family watched the Apollo or the moon landing together. And then after we're done, she's like, I've seen these, so I know you need photos, and like pulls up on her phone, and she's like, here's a picture of me of a, as a kid watching Neil Mimi. come down the ladder. And I'm like, who are you? What? <laughs> I never get this from my interview. But yeah, you, you have people that are working on uh, big swings. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, she's doing the simulator of our brand new spaceship. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then we'll talk to uh, the following week would be uh, uh, someone uh, who is an aviation storyteller. Chris Henry up is with the EAA. That wasn't the following week, but uh, oh, and then Chris Henry, uh, he's been here on the show. Yeah, yeah, Chris <laughs> is great. Very good. And then we have yeah. a couple more that are still coming out, which is about uh, uh, the Super Guppy, the mm -hmm. crew that flies that for NASA, and then um, the seaplane base at Air Venture, uh, which. Even people who go to AirVenture haven't even seen the seaplane base. So yeah, um, I mean we hadn't. We've been there for almost a day, or I'd been yeah, there for a day, and we just finally so, went out there. However, um, uh, the the canvas and the and the conversation can, can get bigger. Uh, that's all all the better for it. Wow. Um, tell me before. Or obviously, we're we're running a little bit short, but tell me about Redtail Reborn. Because sure. obviously the Tuskegee Airmen are, are such a, a an important part of our, our history. Sure. Um, when I was finishing uh, the restorers, uh, the very first one, this is back in, let's say, 03 or so, um, that the people that I was associated with were a lot of the uh, Mustang uh, rebuilders uh, through Jerry Beck's shop and Bob Odegaard's shop up in Fargo. Uh, and and I know it's not exactly in Fargo, so don't want everybody to write a letter. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, by virtue of that, again, it was like, hey, you know, we're redoing this Mustang, and it's this, and I start hearing the story of what the CAF did with that Mustang to tell the story the first time with Don Hines, uh, and then they had the accident, and they lost Don Hines, and they were rebuilding, and so it was literally rebuilding the Red Tail, Red Tail Reborn. And telling that story, and again, like we had mentioned, uh, uh, that we like a modern uh, component mm -hmm. to be able to tell these archival stories. Um, now, at that point, they hadn't, even, they, you know, it was years away from red tails being made or uh, being made by George Lucas. So, however, the more story of the Tuskegee Airmen could get done, uh, all the better. So then I uh, pitched it. Uh, Parker Hannafin uh, was gracious enough to underwrite the budget for it, and. I followed the followed the rebuild of the Mustang, went to Tuskegee, Alabama, and then um, interviewed a bunch of the airmen. I uh, was able to get their stories while they were uh, still around uh, uh, and kicking. So, um, and PBS loved the idea and uh, said, "The second you're done with this, we're putting it on the air." Mm 
So yeah. that's kind of the road for it. And you got Michael Dorn from Star Trek. And got Michael Dorn, uh, who played Worf on Star Trek. Not only is Michael Dorn and played Worf on Star Trek and has an amazing voice, but he is also a Warbird pilot. So he is mm -hmm. clearly he is clearly a Kool-Aid drinker to uh, want to do something uh, to help support getting the story out. Yeah. And, uh, we owe a lot for him, a lot to him for doing that. Yeah, and then you cut to and we did Rise Above Tuskegee Airmen, which was few, over a decade ago. Um, and we're recording with Michael Dorn again, and then he does his. Oh, he gave us a little Klingon in the in the in the <laughs> recording studio. He gave us some pearls of wisdom, Worf style. Which I, if he ever calls me, that's his ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, well. So not all of your films uh, uh, and productions that you do, of course, are aviation-based, although um, we can say there's still a parachute in something that is one of my favorite, and that's your short film, which is available on your website, The Resistance. Yeah. Yeah. So that Tell is... Um... The story, because I have to say this, there are some times that you watch something that you cannot unwatch, that it sticks with you. And the resistance is something that uh, that very, very much is top of mind for me. Yeah, it's um, it's our latest, one of our latest projects, um, and it's a narrative short, and it's about the women spies from World War II. And it's just this 14 minute of- um, SOE in, in Paris, SOE in, in France. Occupied France, um, in a cafe, and there's, a Nazi who is a regular in there and the new SOE agent shows up and it becomes this kind of cat and mouse with the two of them and um, it's a project that is Tri-C Community, Community College, Cuyahoga Community College, which is here in Cleveland, has a film intensive program. It's a six-week course that um, people can take to learn how to make a movie. And Adam has been teaching it for uh, six, six years or so. Yeah, several years. And there's an image of it. Last year, two years ago. Two years ago. Uh, yeah. uh, this was, and they ask a director every year mm -hmm. to write a story and uh, come direct and teach the class. Mm -hmm. And this, and it was Kara's uh, honor this time uh, to be selected. And she yeah. wrote the, this uh, this movie to take place. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I was because they try see us they're like okay like give me three give us three ideas of something that you would want to do and this was one of them and this luckily this is the one they picked but I was reading um, a lot of books about the women who were over there um, being a spy including a book called D-Day Girls which I highly recommend um, one about Nancy Wake Virginia Hall um, just super fascinating people and I was like oh man nobody really or at least, you know, here in the States, we don't really see those stories of the resistance. I think it's a little more popular in Europe. But um, I was like, oh, we have to tell the story of these people who are just no the normal people who are living their lives in occupied France. And um, it's, to me, anybody at that time, it's like a horror movie. Like there is no escaping and there's no hiding. Um, or you're trying Your to villain hide. is in plain sight. It's very difficult. Um, and it's very, uh, it's very intense. So like, that's kind of the feel we went with this is like, it just builds to this very tense moment um, that explodes at the end. But um, it was something that we decided that we wanted to um, design as a Western. Yeah. So. Nazi movie that's a Western. Yeah. Uh, well, sure, that's not you can see it for free on the website. You'll you'll see that it it plays in it very easily. It's a western. It's it's not mm -hmm. a forced idea. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it like because instead of like the duel at the end of them standing in the middle of the street with their gunfight, it is they are sitting across from a table from each other. Um, but that just came out of um, without him being the director of photography and directors. One of the first processes that you do is you go, well, okay, what do we want it to look like? And he came up with some images from Wyatt Earp and uh, Unforgiven. Yeah. And they're very dark and moody. And I was like, oh, I love this. Because I was like, you know, I kind of want it to feel like um, a Caravaggio painting where it's very, very dark and um, shadowy. And Even though it's broad daylight, there's dark corners everywhere. There, yeah. Um, which plays a little bit more in the sun. Which looks but, like yeah. a Western cafe. Yeah. There's one big light source, and that's the door. Yeah. So, um, 
once we got that in place, I was like, oh man, I have an idea. It's like, we should totally model this like a Western. So yeah. we've, a lot of the shots in there are the same, including to the down to the uh, black hat, white scarf, because she's wearing a white scarf when she walks into the uh, cafe. But um, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. And um, one of the um, producers at tri is James Matteo, who is in Band of Brothers. He plays Frank Picante. Picante. And he had moved to Cleveland years ago, so we've become um, friends with him. And so he's a producer on this. And when I, we, I submitted the script, he's like, oh, Kara, Kara, I love it. And he's like, but I don't see a part for me. And I'm like, hey, Jimmy, because he's got a very thick Bronx accent. And I'm like, can you do a British or a French accent? And he's like, no. no. <laughs> I was like, well, there you are. There's not a lot of people from the Bronx. In, <laughs> at that point, in at that point <clears throat> where we were telling the story. So. Um, I was like, the Americans aren't here yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't really do that. Yeah, they're, I not, mean, they're not on the continent in 1942. We could have probably put them in there, but it's it marks. Wait, wait. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, so he's in the beginning of the film with no lines. <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch it now, knowing about the white scarf and and some yeah. of the other guys to it. I, I would say to anybody out there, the it's the best 14 minutes you could spend. The idea of of seeing something that I think feels so real and true and honors. The people who risked their lives during World War II in so many ways without it being just a happy hero yeah. story. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, not, not giving anything away. It just, it's it's tense. And I think it celebrates so many people that did so many hard things. And there's no movies made about them. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, what they went through was rough. Like reading stories about mm. them, like, Ugh, there's some horrible things that happen to them. Um, but all the stuff that's in the film, when they're telling stories or the all little snippets, all was true. All based on um, real women. Um, no one in particular, but it's like kind of just an amalgamy of them as well. It's like just kind of yeah. Like the that's what I was thinking. So you amalgamated like different stories, but you didn't. It's not fiction per se. It, it's yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And part of it being because it's part of a class um, on our. I think it was our first day of filming, like that morning, um, before we kicked it off, I kind of gave the speech to the crew and the students um, about the seriousness of the subject. You're doing real history. Do. So um, that was kind of cool to be able to enlighten them on this part of history. And they were all like, that's really cool. I want to read more about it. Yeah. So I think history wins. just part of, yeah, it's part of, oh my gosh, the amount of times people on set, like, I'll tell a story from history, and they're like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. Um, but, like, just opening people's ideas, or minds to see, seeing things that they don't necessarily get to see, and, like, that's kind of the purpose of why I fly, is, like, bringing more people into aviation, and just being, like, getting that out there, and um, letting people have access to that, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I can tell you it's absolutely fantastic, all, all of the work. Let's let's give a quick rundown of how people can find this. First of all, hemlockfilms.com is uh, the home site where they can see the work under a title of the work and, and see all the different things. Many of them, yeah, the entire listing of that, um, uh, many other things you can see on PBS. So if you're interested in this, definitely do it. And some of them are viewable right there on the website. Uh, like uh, the resistance that we were just we were just talking about. So um, before we go, what's next for all for both of you? Oh boy! <laughs> uh, uh, like we said, we want to do another uh, season of uh, Why I Fly, uh, and then we have a couple of larger projects. Uh, one is about a is a documentary about the uh, Voyager One and Voyager Two missions. Uh, and then we also want to, or we have written and we're shopping right now, a narrative version of the 1929 Women's Air Race. Yeah. Oh, wow. Including uh, another feature-length documentary that is not aviation-related. Um, <laughs> what else? I feel like there's a lot of things on our plate that are 
potentially going to happen very soon. So. And when there's multiple strikes in Hollywood, it gives us a lot of time to cook up a whole bunch of projects. <laughs> That's how we get in trouble. That's how we get in trouble. I think it's overflowing. Well, yeah. thank you both so much for taking time out of your evening to join us here on Social Flight Live. I'm grateful. Uh, your work is absolutely amazing. And thank you. And, and, and keep. I hope you get funding for all the things that you have planned. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for getting thank the word out. Thank you for out. having us. Yes. Absolutely. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, you too. And to all of you, thank you so much for joining us again for another evening here on Social Flight Live. We'll be back next Tuesday, November 14th, going inside the Lockheed Skunk Works with Mr. J.B. Brown, who worked on the F-117 Stealth Fighter Program at Lockheed in that famous Skunk Works. We're going to learn a lot about that. Then on Tuesday, November 21st, What's it like to fly NASA's Super Guppy? Well, the team from NASA that actually flies that aircraft will be here with us. Get to learn about that amazing aircraft, which we also saw out at AirVenture. Until next time, thank you all for everything that you do to support general aviation. And I wish you all blue skies.